Rufo Ibarra Arellano is a pedigreed chef. With his resume, he could be working at some of the fanciest Michelin star restaurants in the world. But he chose to be here, running a restaurant in Tijuana instead, because Rufo loves his roots, and he wants his food to be infused with them. His memories of crossing the border to get fast food as a kid, of eating his mom's takes on Chinese food in Mexicali, he lets all of those impressions shape his recipes. At the end of the day, Rufo doesn't care if people think he's the best. He just wants to cook great food and make people happy. In 2015, Rufo opened his restaurant, Oryx Capital and his speakeasy, Nortico. And now, Rufo and his team are some of the leading voices of Tijuana's new culinary wave. They're helping reinvent the city's cuisine and establish its reputation as a foodie haven. Rufo's love for serving food extends beyond the walls of his restaurant. He's partnered with local nonprofits to feed thousands of migrants in Tijuana. Obviously, the corona pandemic is deeply impacting Rufo's work and his restaurant. It's impacting all of us, but restaurants are being hit particularly hard. Rufo's team had just finished remodeling his restaurant a couple of weeks before the quarantine became the new normal. Even as many restaurants lay off a lot of their staff though, Rufo and his partners have assured their team that they have their backs. They're committed to their safety and well-being, even if that means taking a big financial hit. I'm Alan Liliental, and you're listening to Only Here, a KPBS podcast about the unexplored subcultures, creativity, and struggles at the U.S.-Mexico border. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. Rufo, welcome to the show. Bienvenido. Many people have no idea what they want to do in life. Some never even find out. But you, you wanted to be a chef since you were eight years old? Well, I don't know if I knew I wanted to be a chef, per se, but... um. I was in the kitchen by the age of eight. I was already in the kitchen by myself. I mean, basic stuff, but everything revolved around the kitchen. There's no professional cooks in my, in my family. I was the first crazy one to actually pursue this as a profession. What sparked that love for cooking? Do you remember? Was it the flavors, the actual eating? Was it being around your mom? I think number one was being around my mom. But yes, definitely flavors and aromas have always been interesting to me. And that's something that, that I haven't let go. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a little kid. If I'm very curious. So if I'm in the, in the wilderness and I see a bush, I smell it, I smell the leaves, and I always try to imagine that if it, if it has a good smell in the dish. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all the above, but for sure, it's always the family uh, tied to it. And what was the food scene in Tijuana like back in those days? Did you go out to eat a lot with your family? I mean, we did. We we ate a lot at home. My mom's a very good cook. Um, I mean, not everything was from scratch, but every she made everything taste good. I know everybody must say this, but I actually had cousins come to our place because they wanted to eat like my mom's spaghetti or my mom's uh, Chinese food. There's a big uh, Chinese influence here in the state of uh, of Baja because of 
um, Mexicali when um, a Chinese colony came here to build railroads and there's there's a lot of influence. So we, we would have very random eclectic dishes in our house. Did you cross the border at all when you were growing up? I've crossed the border since I can remember, since I was a baby. I even remember my first permit or car that had my, had my baby face up until I was like 10. It had, still had my baby face. As soon as I was in Tijuana, I was born in Mexicali, but I was here before I was one. As soon as I got to Tijuana, I'm pretty sure I was crossing already. And obviously now a lot of people are crossing into Tijuana for food, for food tourism. Tijuana is very popular now. Do you remember what it was like? And were people crossing for food or what was, what was the, the kind of food vibe in the cross-border region? Well, not, not back in the day. Back in the day, uh, we, us Mexicans, as, uh, on this side of the border, in Tijuana, we, we would cross to San Diego to do all our shopping. Clothes, toys, and food. We would go to Price Club, which is now Costco, uh, or other stores and get, get our produce there and then cross the border. We would get vegetables and, and that stuff here locally because it was fresh and cheaper, but everything else we would get in the States. And the people from the States would come to Mexico, especially like downtown Tijuana or Rosarito and Ensenada, like Papa Zimbabwe. It was like a party city. Anything, anything you couldn't do in the States, you would do in Tijuana, Rosarito, or Ensenada, especially between 18 and 21. All right. And you moved to San Diego for a little while, right, in high school? I was in high school for a little bit in San Diego. Why? What, why'd, you move? why'd you move there? I always had this attachment to, to the States. I don't know. Um, this, you know, American dream. I don't know if I, I, I thought about it that way when I was a kid. But I grew up watching uh, TV in English. Our local TV stations were mostly American because of the range. We would only get a couple of Mexican um, channels here in, in, in Tijuana. And I grew up, you know, watching Safe by the Bell, Fresh Prince from Bel Air, even Sesame Street, not Plaza Sesamo. So, so I, was, I, was, I was very intrigued and very, very into American culture from a very young age. And I remember I, if they would put Plaza Sesamo on, I would fall asleep. So um, I grew up. I was in junior high here in Tijuana. Uh, some of my best years uh, in school, and I decided to, I wanted to go to the States. It wasn't easy for my family because I was going to take a brother that, that was a year younger than I, and we would stay at a, at a house that belonged to my dad's friend. Yeah, Tijuana has a very unique position in that it has access to not only cultures within Tijuana, but obviously being able to cross and have access to a whole different world. How do you think being able to cross from such a young age and explore all these different worlds in, diff- in a different way that people from other parts of Mexico don't really get to do? How did that influence you, your perspective, and your cooking? Well, it, it, becomes, it becomes a region. We don't think about it that way when we were growing up because mm-hmm. it's, it's the normal. Back in the day, I didn't have a lot of friends that I knew from like Mexico City or Guadalajara or any, any other place. And it was, it, it was a normal for us, especially because also in Mexico, we're not considered like Mexican Mexicans. I don't know if it makes sense. We're so far away from everybody else. Our culture is, it's just, it's like the border. You know, it's the biggest border crossing in the world. And, and that's us. We are a mixture of, of, of cultures. We have uh, obviously different, different Mexicans. And when I say different Mexicans is Mexico can be like five different countries. It's so hmm. different from Yucatan 
tu Monterrey, Puebla, um, Veracruz, uh, Sonora, and, and, and it, it, it just changes. The food changes incredibly. So we were detached from all of that. And we were a lot more, a lot closer to, let's say, San Diego, but also LA, you know, Hollywood, Disneyland, uh, Las Vegas, San Francisco. It's, it, they're a lot closer than Mexico City. Fast food was big back in the day before it really hit uh, Mexico. So, uh, you know, the burger scene, uh, the pizza, all these fast food joints, hot dogs and, and whatever were, were big when I was a kid. And, and that's all we wanted to eat. And there was a point here in Tijuana where the food trucks that started coming up was a, a blend of what we used to think of, of junk food, but with quality product. So Rufo's family knew he loved cooking and food, but when the 17-year-old sat his dad down to tell him he seriously wanted to pursue becoming a chef, his dad didn't take the news so well. This is a good story because I, I was like, Dad, I know what I want to study. And he's like, great. So I was like, let's go to Gran Bistro, which was uh, at the Grand Hotel Tijuana, which is across the street from Oryx right now. And we sat down and I was like, Dad, I want to be a chef. And I remember his face, like it just dropped in, in, in shock because my dad's an accountant. He's, he's, he's worked his whole life. He came from Cananea, Sonora when he was 13. He was a janitor for a, for a liquor store. Then he was the cashier for the liquor store. Then he paid his, his studies and became an accountant, an accountant for the store, then got into a firm, then, then uh, opened his, his, his firm, then got into politics. So I had like a big, big shadow over me with the same name. And I told him I wanted to be a chef. And he's like, you got to be crazy. Like, this is already laid out for you. You already know my clients and my friends, and you're actually good at this because we would do exercises or whatnot uh, when I was in, in, in junior high, and and it was easy for me, but but so boring. I, I'm very hyperactive, so yeah, I would never picture myself behind a desk for more than three hours. To see just how badly Rufo really wanted this, or maybe to try to dissuade him from it, Rufo's dad got him a job at a classic Italian restaurant in San Diego. But his day job was in Tijuana, and his dad wouldn't let him quit. So every day, Rufo would work in Tijuana from 6.30 a.m. to 3, drive to San Diego, work at the restaurant from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., then drive back and do it all over again. 17 years old and doing almost 20-hour days. He, he put me through, through hell there. I was... I was very ecstatic. I learned a lot. After like four months, he's like, okay, I believe you. I believe you want to do this. Let's start looking for a school. Wow. That's, I mean, apart from those crazy hours, it seems from the outside, like being a chef in general can be super high pressure as a job. Was there ever a time during those days or later that you thought you might want to go into a different career? Uh, I don't know if I, I wanted to go into a different career. But uh, yeah, there were definitely days that I was like, why, why am I doing this? Like, it's so many hours. My back was killing me. My feet were swollen. And I was like, I, I wanted to give up. I didn't, but I was very close. And I'm pretty sure this goes through most cooks' minds at some point. Mm. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, like I mentioned before, you you've had the privilege, I guess, of working at a, a several Michelin rated restaurants and you've learned under some of the best chefs in the world, like Jesus Sanchez in Spain and Massimo Bottura in Italy. What do you think it is about you as a person or your cooking that allowed those doors to open for you? Uh, one of the, my philosophies in life or, or the way I like to, to approach life uh, is just being as humane as possible, be as, as humble as possible. I mean, we all get distracted every once in a while, but I was raised to be, to be hardworking and humble uh, with high moral values. And I think that opens a lot more doors than, than just talent by itself. I've always been very competitive also. So whenever I set foot anywhere, I would try to be the best, try to be the first one there, try to be the cleanest, try to be the, the absolute best I could do, and then be as open as I could to learn everything and, and just get immersed into that world I was stepping into because we think we know it all, right? And we step in and we try to show off. I think that's the wrong approach. I don't know if you remember Ferran Adria from El Bulli, uh, mm. one of the biggest chefs in the world. And he used to say, whenever a new season came in, it's like, don't come in thinking you know something because none of us do. This is all new for all of us. This is a new menu. This is a new service. So just try to adapt and, and absorb all the information you can as, po- as fast as possible and be as precise as possible. After working at Senador de Amos in Spain and doing a stint in San Diego under famed chef Javier Plasencia, Rufo opened his restaurant Oryx Capital in Tijuana in 2015. A year and a half later, he was invited to do an apprenticeship under Massimo Bottura, the world-famous chef and owner of Osteria Francesca in Italy. Though Oryx was still a baby learning to walk, Rufo and his team were able to figure out a way to make it work. It was the learning opportunity of a lifetime, and he knew that being at what was then the number one rated restaurant in the whole world would make his own restaurant that much better. And he was right. I evolved the restaurant after being uh, after I was with Massimo because I, I noticed how, how the culture, his, his culture, his roots were very, very deep. In his in his menu, in his approach uh, to service, everything was was an experience, and, and it was specifically for the for the the client. It wasn't it wasn't about the food, and and that moved me a lot uh, because I like I said I'm I'm all about service, helping others and cooking for others and making other people happy. And that's the biggest thing I learned at, at Tosteria Francescana. It wasn't about, yeah, all these techniques in one dish. It was about making people happy. If a client at Tosteria Francescana wanted to go into the kitchen, they could. And as soon as they walked in, if they wanted a photo, uh, one of the sous chefs uh, or the chef de partie would go, uh, Ragazzi, photo. And then everybody from every single station would stop. Like the pastry chefs would come out. Everybody would come out to take that photo and thank them personally. 
and then everybody would rush back to the station and get service running again. Hmm. So imagine a three Michelin star, best restaurant in the world, stopping for a photo. It was just nuts for me. So I wanted to come back and, and do that and, and just like give back to all, all the people that walked in our, our door you know, with a warmth that I learned since I was a kid from mm. my mom and my grandma. After having so many opportunities open for you, what was it about coming back to Tijuana, even going back to when you did open the restaurant, what was it about Tijuana that made you want to open here as opposed to, I don't know, because back in those days, Tijuana wasn't celebrated as a food city like it is now. What made you not want to maybe open it in Mexico City or maybe somewhere in the States? What was it about Tijuana that really made you be like, no, this is where I'm doing it? The roots, man. Roots. Uh, being proud of where you're from. Um, I'm not from Mexico City. I've gotten offers from, from different cities in Mexico and the States. But it was very important to, to make a statement in my hometown, um, to surround myself with family, with friends, and get, get, get those roots really deep and strong. Who we are, our identity became clearer because I was still, still young-ish, and it's, it's not easy to, to come to a very clear identity when you're starting, at least as a restaurant owner or restaurateur, it's it's a different ball game. There's something that I love to trigger um, with my cooking, and that's memory, nostalgia. Mm. I used to have a, a, an alphabet soup in the menu, and everybody was like, "Alphabet soup? Are you are you kidding me, chef? Like this, like this? I can make in my house, or my mom makes it." I'm like, exactly. Like I want to trigger that. It's not it's not a uh, pasta de fideo or like sopa de fideo or like you know or chicken noodle it's it's alphabet soup as soon as you see those letters you would immediately go back to like grandmas or moms or your aunts and and the the only way I could do it is starting where I learned everything which mm. was here man I haven't had one of those alphabet soups in decades <laughs> that's crazy if I serve you one You'd be like, oh my God, this reminds me. Dude, like, I'd be so happy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I really would be. And I'll tell you the truth. That was also the hardest dish to nail because it had competition in every house. I, I knew everybody was going to critique it and, and find something wrong with it because it, it wasn't their moms or their grandmas or their whatevers. So getting to that midpoint of every recipe it took me, it took, yeah, more than a couple of tries. When we, when we had it, everybody that tried that alphabet soup walked in and immediately ordered it. That's awesome. How does it feel to have seen Tijuana transform from not being a food capital at all to now being kind of revered for its food scene? It's a very emotional thing for me and for for a lot of people here in tijuana because as we all remember unfortunately 2007 2000, through 2009 we went through one of the worst moments in 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 history here in tijuana with the violence obviously it got it got rid of all the tourism so all it, it wasn't a party city it was a ghost town it was really tough it was really 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 tough so what happened was 
every, every, every business that started growing or opening after, after those, those tough years, they were made for locals. They were made for, like, if you opened a torta shop or a taco shop or um, a boutique, it was for your family, for your friends. So you were a lot more thoughtful of every detail because you wanted to be proud of that business. Mm. So we, we all changed this city. We took the city back, making it for locals when it wasn't. And then the tourists started taking notice of this and then appreciating it, appreciating it and then visiting us for that, which was a lot better. Our tourism changed. It wasn't a party city anymore. It was more of, I want to go there and I want to eat and I want to have some cocktails and I'll come back. Mm. So there was a saying back in the day, uh, the best thing of, of the, uh, about Tijuana is San Diego. And now I think it's the other way around. I agree. I actually saw it on a shirt like a year ago. It said, uh, the best part of San Diego is Tijuana. Yeah. That, that said, because back in the day, it was the other way around. Sure. I'm curious how Tijuana's history, obviously Tijuana is very unique in that it was kind of created for America, almost like as an American playground in, in the Prohibition era in the 1920s when people couldn't drink in America, they would they would come over to Tijuana to get drunk. Um, how has that history shaped or influenced Oryx or its speakeasy that's right next to it, Nortico? Well, it, it, it fully um, inspired the speakeasy. Being, being a local kid, and, and knowing that the golden era of Tijuana, the golden age, was while prohibition was going on in the States, uh, that culture was, was everything for Tijuana. That's when the economy started growing. And with the Casino Agua Caliente and all these, these urban legends and stories uh, behind all the bars and casinos in the city. So I, wa- I wanted to, to make an homage to that era. So that's why the whole bar, like this, the ceiling, the floor, like everything's covered in, in, in gold. Like the golden days. Like the golden days. Roaring 20s 2.0. The 20s started pretty, pretty rough. Hopefully, hopefully we get there. Yeah. I mean, it's only the first year. <laughs> we, we have time. Hopefully, hopefully we turn it around. Actually, this is a good transition. I wanted to ask about how how this this Corona pandemic and the quarantine is is affecting the way you run your restaurant and the way you're going to run your restaurant in the coming in the foreseeable future. Well, uh, short term, we we turned a a newly renovated restaurant. <laughs> we had just renovated everything. I was working on a new menu, working on a tasting menu for the first time, making it more like a lot more upscale we turned that into a to go and and pick up restaurant with more comfort food in a week and and i think that's gonna that's gonna work for probably two more weeks and we'll have to evolve again because we're at least three weeks behind you guys three to four weeks behind the 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 people in the states everything has been very slow and it's going to it's going to have really really big consequences and the uh, the 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 time that i don't know countries like Spain Italy that are going through really tough times and it's it, it looks like it's going to be like a four month hold 
for Mexico, I think it's gonna it, it can it can be even more. So we definitely have to evolve. I'm working on giving classes online. We're gonna sell the. We're gonna be we're work, working with our local farmers, and all uh, everything's organic. All the beautiful produce that we get, and we're gonna sell the baskets, the recipe baskets, already, so they can have a private class with me online. So that's how you're kind of planning to stay active and yeah and, af- and afloat afloat yeah yeah i mean and that's all being donated to my staff to to having them in their homes um and, and we're very strict about that too we sent 70 percent of our staff to their homes and they can't leave their homes well and the staff that's actually working with us we bring him to the restaurant we pick them up we drop them back home and we were taking very good care of them. Everybody's getting paid. Uh, I have a great, great group of people working uh, with us. So we're trying to help them uh, um, as much as possible. But we, we definitely need to be very creative in, in, in how to get the resources to them. Mm-hmm. Not just food, but they, they got to pay the rent. They got to pay services. I mean, it's... It's hard for everybody, so we're trying to make it as uh, as easy as possible through, like through through this whole pandemic. Right. Yeah. A lot of people I know, friends of mine that work in the service industry, are worried because the places that they work at, it doesn't feel like they have their backs. It seems like you really are wanting to make it seem like it want people to feel like it's a team and that 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 you do have their backs. Well, they 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 they've always had mine. Hmm. There's no way I would have been able to be be at Osteria Francescana. Uh, cook uh, and then have, be at an interview at the Super Bowl or cook at um, South Beach Food and Wine this year with Tyler Florence and Jose Andres. Like there's, there's no way I, I would have been able to do so many things in the past years if I didn't have if they didn't have my back. So I, the very least that I can do is my best to make sure um, I can take care of them at this point. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, how do you think you had mentioned that you think this will drastically shift the way restaurants and the restaurant industry is run in the coming years? Uh, can, can you expand on that a little bit? To me, it's right now we're trying to survive so we can plan ahead. But we definitely have to think about uh, luxury. The The luxury market is, is going to be very, very, very small. So... I think we're going to try and do special things at lower costs, thinking about everything. Every business owner today knows so much more about running a business than we did two months ago. So I think we're going to be a lot smarter about how we run things, how we train staff from the hygiene point of view, all the way to how we operate. Are you guys at Oryx doing anything to to help the all the thousands of of migrants in Tijuana who who are especially vulnerable right now? So we work with two organizations. With this is about humanity, which is based in LA, and they help families that have been separated at the border and unaccompanied minors. And we work with uh, World Central Kitchen, who's a uh, Jose Andres and Nate's uh, organization. And they feed in in where whenever there's a, a chaos in the world, any any 
any big situation, there's always a team from both Central Kitchen helping feed people without asking. So uh, we work with them. They have a, a kitchen, the Bull Central Kitchen here in Tijuana feeds, I think, six shelters. And then This Is About Humanity helps with funds specifically for some of those shelters and for Bull Central Kitchen to, to feed. So, yeah, we do fundraisers in L.A. for these events. And whenever we can, we're in that kitchen. Unfortunately, with, with these times, it's been super complicated because there, there can only be so many people in that kitchen. And it's feeding 1,200 people daily. Outside of the restaurant, how is this pandemic affecting you personally? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that hits the spot. Um, definitely not being able to be with my son because um, my son lives with his mom and with uh, his grandma. And, and we, we are very, very um, cautious and we're, we're trying to be as responsible as possible. And even though it, it, it hurts a lot not to be with your son, especially the type of relationship that I have with him, which is very, very close and we're, we're very alike, we're very similar. Um, it's hard because I know it's also hard for him. Um, so that, I think, I think I can overcome almost everything else economically we'll work it out like I'll, I'll i'm i think i'm creating creative enough to where i can manage everything else but being away from my kid that that definitely has has is a toll and and this just started so i i can't even imagine how it's going to feel not having him close or being i mean i can i can see him at a certain distance but not being able to just hug him and give him a kiss uh, or play with him, that's that's just, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I can't imagine. I really hope you get to see him soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, Rufo, thank you so much for the interview. I can't wait to come try the alphabet soup when this quarantine is over. <laughs> I'll bring it back. I'll definitely bring it back. I, I, I think people need that that um, that comfort these days. I think it's it's time to to be very empathetic. It's time to be strong and and think about others. Uh, there's still in Mexico a lot of people that that are not taking this this pandemic seriously, th these measures seriously. They're outside their home, and I would hate for them to like go through a rough time them or one of their family members or or friends because of negligence. Here is a KPBS podcast hosted by me, Alan Liliental. It was written and produced by Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is the director of sound design. Lisa Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is the director of programming. KPBS podcasts are made possible by listeners like you. Go to kpbs.org to make a donation or become a member today. Thank you.